The Daniel White Show is proudly sponsored by Lucky House MFG. Lucky House is an eco-friendly screen printing and design studio with over 10 years of experience in the industry. They offer high-quality custom printing services, including apparel printing, graphic design, promo goods, and embroidery. Visit www.luckyhousemfg.com to get a quote and to learn more. The Daily White Show, and we're here with the one and only Zach Witcher. What's up, baby? How's it going? What well, up? I'm sorry, it's Zach Blackneck Witcher. Yeah, the, the one and only. Some might say. Yes, that's so my, that's, that's that's how I knew you for the longest time until I got your actual phone number, and I was like, okay, he has a first name. Actually, that's that's lit. Given by my mother. <laughs> shout out to mom, shout, bro. Shout out to the mom. But yo, man, how you feeling? How's everything going with us? Whole COVID mess. You good? Yes. I mean, surprisingly, once the hardest part was figuring out what to do with my time. Yes, absolutely. Once I figured out some kind of schedule, like a little day-to-day situation, it's it's honestly been pretty It's pretty lit, pretty good. Yeah. That's what's up, man. That's the hardest thing is keeping your kind of keeping your mind and your hands kind of going and doing something. So I'm glad you found that. For sure. How about you? Bro, it's been uh, it's been great, man. Honestly, business has gone up in the past probably two months. Um, cool. Getting a lot of gigs, a lot of personal projects for my photo stuff, and this podcast is going crazy too. So I can't really complain, man. I've been busy as hell. That's great. Yeah, yeah, but you know, more to you though, because this, this 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 is why we're here because of you. You're beautiful ass, man. I'm super I'm super <laughs> excited. I'm super excited because I'm a fan of you. What you're doing, your beat tape is amazing. Um, we're going to talk about that more closer to the end. Cause that's a new thing you're putting out. Um, you put out what was it like a month ago? Uh, September 7th. So yeah, a month, two yeah. days. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll talk about that in a little bit, but we'll go back and, um, get the background on you. But first we have the icebreaker, which I did not prepare you for. So, All right. um, I have three, I don't know, four different packs you can choose from. Okay, okay. So I have an orange pack. I have a white pack called the Big Talk Pack. All right. I have the Reflection Card Pack. And I have a green pack. Okay. So you have between those four packs, what you want to do? Uh, was there Big Talk? Is yeah, that what Big it was talk. called? Okay, cool. It's the Big Talk. And I yeah. haven't seen this question either. So this is going to be something we both answer truthfully. Okay? Go ahead. Cool. Okay. So when was the last time you lied and why? <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> uh, no. I'm trying to think. Maybe first thing that comes to mind was like an unintentional lie, like somebody hit me. Uh, like, hey, can you record this like this day? And I was like, oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I definitely. <laughs> it's still not recorded, yo. <laughs> That's terrible. So someone's waiting for a part for you from you. And well, you... I, 
truth is I lucked out because they sent it to me with like program drums with them and they were like, hey, actually, we got a real drummer to cut the parts. So do you want to do it after? No, I was like, oh yeah, that's that's a great idea. See, it sounds perfect. Yeah, 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 yeah. It sounds good. <laughs> so I got out of that one. Oh dang, okay. I think the last time I lied. I think the last time I lied is when someone sent me and this is recently <laughs> someone sent me a batch of edits to see if I liked. And I didn't really feel like telling them no and telling them why. Sure. So I was like, yeah, these look good. <laughs> gotta send them on their way. Yo, that thing is hard. Bro. Especially so like in my world, that thing happens after shows. Everybody is like passing each other. Like, great job, man. And when you really don't think it was a great job, what do you do? He's like, oh man, you could have done better. You don't say that because it's like <laughs> you sound like a butthole. So nobody says it. <laughs> oh, but no, okay, that was a good one. Actually, uh, makes me feel makes me feel bad about myself. But hey, everyone does it, so it's whatever. Yeah, but, um, to the interview, we have, like I said, we have Zachary Woodard here. I know Zach from playing when he was playing the Orthodox, and he came to Greensboro what once or twice. Twice, I believe. Okay, twice, and I remember seeing you at Fantasy. Um, I think Mitch was with y'all too. I can't remember, um, yeah. but we met there. I think we were friends on Instagram first, but mm-hmm. ever since then, I've been a huge fan of you. I think you're the super talented, super amazing, and you have a crazy journey through music from hardcore and to doing different things now and making beat tapes and producing. So we're gonna talk about all that right now. Yeah, <laughs> dope. So um, yeah, let's go back to where I guess the itch for creating kind of started. Um, the story as my mother tells it, I was in church. Um, kind of grew up there and I started on drums when I was like three or four years old but then around third or fourth grade I was watching the bass player on stage at the church mm. and apparently I just like leaned over and was like yo this man is boring me and she was like what you mean and I was like he's boring he's just standing there and then I said um, I'm gonna learn how to play bass so I could teach him how to dance and play the bass <laughs> are you <laughs> serious yeah that's that's what she told me and then uh she probably bought me a little pawn shop bass or whatever and that, that was the beginning so that you switched completely from drums to bass just because of that yeah yeah i guess so that i did is... drums probably probably like two years straight when i was four and five but then after that it was just like here and there with the guy at the church yeah yeah, yeah. So did you but most... as far as like diving in on my own bass was it that was it so did you go the route of learning worship music or what did you learn on bass first um so i was in private school um so we had a band class a guy essentially bought the beginner books for all the instruments we were playing some of our friends were playing keyboard or saxophone yeah or bass um so he just bought us the beginner books and taught us how to read music so i was yeah, just counting whole notes and hot cross blends and all that kind of stuff. Home base. <laughs> yeah, school, go, 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 hot go, cross go. Blends. Yeah. Um, Yo, yes. But uh, that was the beginning of the education part. I think what I was learning was kind of by ear. Yeah. I would just sit down at home, put the headphones on, and just try to follow just along as I could. Dude, that's crazy. That's awesome. So what musicians were you listening to back then? Like, was it mostly, I guess, obviously, obviously you had the hot cross buns kind of thing with the teacher at school and stuff, but did you, like, listen to, like, any funk or jazz or, or just worship when music? I remember being the first two things I got, like, hooked on 
um, Earth, Wind, and Fire, I know, was like my one of my first favorite Absolutely. bands. Um, and then in high school, I switched from private to public school, so I got exposed to like a bunch of different music. I was in the marching band with all these kids that were listening to stuff I wasn't. And somebody told me about Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yes. And so I definitely went through a Flea phase as well. Incredible um, bass player, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And he plays trumpet too. Like, Does he fun. really? Yeah. Wow. I had no clue. Yeah. So you got kind of exposed to that. You went to public school. Mm-hmm. So you were playing music there. Yeah. In the marching band. So for the parades i would march like bass drum or cymbals yes because you can't really march it with a bass i was gonna ask that i was like wait is that possible so you were you were in percussion yeah yeah yeah, for the parades but for the competitions i would just stand in the pit in the front and essentially play the tuba parts unless there was an electric bass part oh okay how did so how did the tuba parts like how would how did that work um, it's the same clef or whatever, so I would just read the same thing they were playing, just on my instrument. Oh, dope. Okay, I you know. I, I guess that does make sense actually. That was yeah. dope. Did you have like a little amp there and all whatever and play play standing up? Mm-hmm. That's dope. Yeah. Okay, which was to... cool, except for when it was raining, because everybody else just run off with their instrument. My joint was electronic, <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> do I pick it up or do I just leave it and let it fry? <laughs> leave it and run. Yeah. Were you still like involved with the church as far as playing music back then? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the music director, I want to say probably like eighth grade before I went to public school in 10th grade. He um, was teaching the music lessons for my private school. But for my lesson, instead of giving me music to learn, like educational stuff, he would just give me the songs for Sunday. Oh, like, dope. You kind of learn them by ear? Yeah, well, he he was the one that taught me the system called Nashville Numbers. It's mm-hmm. essentially a shortcut. Is it like tablature? Um, kinda. So tabs are like, you know, the notes on the strings. Yeah. Nashville Numbers relates to uh, harmony. So like in a key, you have eight, you have twelve steps, but there's like C D E F G A B. C. Mm. So like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. National numbers relates to those. So he started teaching me that. He would write it on paper and then he would play the songs and I would kind of read along. And then eventually he just stopped making charts and he was like, you'll hear it. And I was like, what you mean I'll hear it? <laughs> but, but I mean, he threw me in the fire and it worked. Like once I got to college and then they like bridged the gap of like this is what he was teaching you. I was like, oh, I kind of already know how to do that. Oh, that's so, dope. So you got the college. Shout out and... to Ken Eubanks is his name, but yo, shout yeah. out to him. That's dope. So back, in, so let's go back. Let's go back to marching band. So, <laughs> did you enjoy doing marching band and all that? Um, it you... was okay. The first teacher we had was like an ex marine. Oh my god! So <laughs> he had a a bunch of just like military type calls and we was doing push-ups all the time <laughs> the, the discipline was it was it was all right but then sometimes it was just like why why are we doing all this stuff why are we running laps for right now why, why are we doing push-ups and, push-up yeah. and, and then the guy after him that came in was like 
trying to be the opposite, like trying to be the hero for us. Yeah. He was like, I'm not going to make y'all do push-ups. And then the kids just started walking all over him. Oh, my God. So then he started giving us the silent treatment. He was like, all right, no music. You just sit here and study. And I was like, so, what are we doing? I'm not really, I'm not here for this either. So I actually quit marching band my senior year because I was like, I can take another class or like get ready for college or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. just sitting here doing nothing. Wow, that's insane. That's insane. So, um, obviously, you did that. You quit, and you were still practice at home and playing, playing in the church and all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Music was definitely still a passion, just not music class at that time. Right, and this is strictly still bass. You're not making beats or anything. This is just bass. Yeah. Dope. And Rod Chili Peppers, and were you listening to any kind of, like, I guess, other alternative rock bands? Uh, First rock album I got was my 14th birthday. Uh, this dude that went to my church bought me Satellite by P.O.D., Oh yes, yeah. So you and, were jamming to that? Were you playing bass to that too? Uh, trying, but that stuff was hard for me. Like learning riffs <laughs> was very hard for me. Especially like, you playing it like even by... now. I can learn them by ear, but writing them it doesn't make sense to me. Golly! And were you back then? Were you writing anything or any original stuff? No, not really. Maybe I. Would, while I was playing along, I would throw in my own little fills or something like that. But as far as like composing anything, no, I was just playing along, learning, trying to figure out the groove. Wow, wow! And obviously, you went to you went to music college, which is what Belmont. Mm-hmm. Belmont, yeah, yes, Belmont, which is in Tennessee. Nashville, yeah, it's in Nashville. So you know, you're born and raised in Nashville, right? No, no, no. I'm from Seven Springs, North Carolina. Oh, so you're from North Carolina? Mm-hmm. What? So back, so yeah. let's back up a little bit. So what, what took you? What, what brought you to Tennessee? Um, so that second marching band teacher was asking. He was like, "What do you want to do for college?" And eleventh in eleventh grade, if you asked me that, I would have been like, "I don't know," but I'm trying to play basketball. Like, I was going to AAU, oh, like playing, playing summer league, and um, I went to Kenny Smith's basketball camp at UNC a few years. So my plan was to like play basketball and figure it out when I got there. And then I tore my ACL. Oh, plan? Yep. Right before the first tournament summer league, tore my ACL. Oh, so my. I couldn't play all summer. And then I couldn't play my senior year in high school either. That was a pretty vital year to play if you don't get anywhere. Yep, exactly. So then I kind of had to switch focus. And he was like, what do you want to do? I was like, I don't know. He was like, well, you know, Belmont has a commercial program and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, bet. I like music, so let's do it. Sure. So I applied at Belmont and then to this like church school in Florida that I had heard about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. From um, and I didn't know which way to go, so I was kind of praying about it. Like, yeah, just help, show me. Um, and then Belmont sent me a little scholarship. Florida didn't send me nothing, so I said, bet I'm oh, going to Nashville. That's it. That's it. Yeah. So you took your pack your bags, go to Nashville. Um, were you nervous at all about studying music? No, because at that point, it's really all I knew. Like, I was good at math and I liked writing, but as far as studying towards a career or anything like that, music was really the the only option in my head. Gotcha, gotcha. It's yeah. crazy because, like, I feel like, you know, it being a part of arts, some parents or people are like telling you like the risks of studying something like that and kind of sure. how would you make it a career off that? And obviously there's a different ways you can do that. But, you know, I'm sure I don't know if your parents are nervous about it, but, you know, I, I can see why they have those jitters. Yeah, I think my mom just saw that 
I stuck with it, like from the point where she bought me that bass because I said I wanted to teach the man how to dance. Mm. It wasn't, it never just sat in the corner. Like I was always kind of playing it. And then I joined marching band on my own. I kept doing music class. I kept wanting to play in church. So I think she was like, this is what he wants to do. That's dope that your parents kind of nourish, you know, kind of nourish that part of you. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure. Okay, okay. So let's go to Nashville. So you got to Nashville, and mm-hmm. how did you? How was your? How was your whole college experience? Kind of give us a little, I guess, a quick summary of you know how that went for you, the challenges you faced, and all that. Uh. So yeah, I got here. Mom dropped me off. Put the stuff in the room. She said, "You good?" And I was like, "Yeah." And then she said, "Bye." I was kind of shook. She really left me. Left me. This first day was um, bad, was gone. First day gone. So I kind of just like walked around campus, probably went to the cap or whatever. And then you know, luckily for the me, the music college was kind of small, so you see a lot of the same people, like very often. So you kind of make friends pretty quick. And then we have these things called ensembles as well, where for a semester you're in either jazz ensemble or rock ensemble or something like that. So I ended up being in bass ensemble, which is a real weird idea. It was a band of all basses and one drummer. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah, so if it was like nine of us, three would be playing the same bass part three would be playing like chords or something and then the other three would be playing a melody on top but what? all bass that sounds insane sometimes it's cool and sometimes it's really trash it just sounds like a bunch of mess yeah like, it's all low end like but um the drummer that was in it um is still one of my best friends we call he's my brother at this point uh rj walker yeah yeah we started hanging out i mean because of that like he was a really good player and then i was trying to like keep up with him and then he introduced me to his friends he lived in his dorm called maple so then i started going over there and i am just hanging out with them so that's kind of where i met my clique like it was him josh um joshua i still create with now mm. and then this dude named calf um we all still hang super tight this is like 10 years later but anyway i started hanging out with them and that was a click I rode with like the whole way through college. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the the best parts were just music every single day. Yeah, you know that was the language everybody was speaking. That's what we wanted to do. Uh, downside is like Belmont is known as a music school, but at that point we had very limited practice room. So it's like the reason we were here, y'all didn't prepare us. For like the best space for it. It was kind of weird. And they closed it like 10 or 11. At night? Are you serious? Yeah. So you get done classes, you go to dinner, do your homework. And then everybody has like one hour to practice in 30 rooms. Oh my God. For a whole entire university? Yeah. Yeah. It was, that part of it was kind of weird. It didn't really make any sense. I think now they're starting to make more practice rooms and stuff. That sounds but chaotic. That part of it was was pretty whack. So you find yourself like maybe getting up some early mornings and trying to find a room, you know, before like a test or something. Yeah, luckily with bass, like it doesn't make a lot of noise, so I could be in my room and like get away with practicing. But for like drummers or horn players or like vocalists, I'll just 
out of luck. It's trash. It's done. That's yeah. crazy. In this in this college, like it wasn't like you went to like a I guess the UNC Chapel Hill. You had other classes. Like this was just for music. No, no, no. I had so it was. They had a music college, but then I had like gen eds and all that. Gotcha. Kind of stuff. So it was a regular university that had other majors. You were just in a music part. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Perfect. Yep. Perfect. And the other classes were the were the, you you just find those hard to kind of get through the general stuff, or were you pretty pretty okay? Um, I I was pretty good at school. I have always hated history. I never enjoyed any <laughs> history classes. I always do quite poorly. <laughs> yes. For history, so those were probably my toughest. And then I had to do a speech class, which always trash. Yeah, I'm not really into standing up in front of people telling y'all stuff you don't care about. Yes, that's exactly what that is too. The reason why yeah. I asked because I know new music school at UNCG is like very hard. So I was wondering how you kind of balance all that and was able to practice and get through the music stuff too. I mean, that was yeah, that was definitely a tough part of it. Like if you looked at the target amount of credits to graduate the music school versus normal school i think i graduated with like 138 credits or something like that and that was like the minimum that's what we had to do there was all these like zero credit classes and like one credit classes we had to take zero Um, credit oh my god dude that like fill up your schedule so you're going 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 all day and then you get to play hopefully Oh my God. So I'm guessing there is when you kind of learn how to compose and write your own stuff, right? So yeah. tell us how, tell us kind of your process with doing that and kind of how you learn to find your style with that. Um, probably. Yeah. You go through all these music classes and learn about harmony and the way they usually make songs like classically. And then Belmont has a commercial program. So they take you from classical through jazz all the way up to like the beginnings of rock and funk and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, not only the history of it, but also like the nerdy part of it. Um, talking about why they chose these notes and the typical chord progressions in these genres. And then you take that from class to your ensemble where you actually have hands on time. So you get to play that kind of stuff and analyze it for yourself. And then you're hanging out with a bunch of nerds and then y'all all talk about it like, whoa, this like five chord is really cool. And then they did the sharp five thing. And I don't really know about that, but it sounds great. <laughs> and then everybody's just trying to figure out like, you really start bridging the gap, like all this music you've grown up listening to. And then they explain it to you in music school. And you're like, that's why I love that sound so much. Yo, that's... So then I think after doing that, just sitting down on your own, and being like, all right, I really like these two chords, how they sound together. What if I like change the rhythm or like do these two chords and then add this one or whatever. And I think, you know, the ball just kind of keeps rolling. And for me, I think the first song I wrote, like I had started learning playing chords on bass, like probably was checking out some Victor Wooten type stuff. Yes. Yeah, it was uh, just like, trying to figure out how my hands did that kind of thing and then I ended up just putting some chords together and the truth is that video exists on YouTube but I unlisted it oh my god no you gotta (laughs) send me that video (laughs) but that was like one of the first songs I I really ever wrote and then from there I had to do a junior and a senior recital so they kind of encouraged you to do 
you know, cover some jazz standards and like arrange some pop tunes, but also write your own. Mm. So for my senior recital, I think I wrote maybe two or three. I had to do an hour set. Oh my God. Yeah. So I think I wrote maybe two or three for that. Wow. And this two or three that's straight up originals. Mm-hmm. And how did, did you, obviously with those ensembles, you had other people, other musicians with you, right? Yes. So particularly, you're kind of writing a whole, you're kind of writing for a whole entire kind of group. For, for everybody. That is, Which, that, to me, yeah. sounds insane. It was, <laughs> the idea of it in your head, in music school, you're like, all right, I get it. Like, I know what things are supposed to sound like. But then you make a chart and put it in front of people. And they're like, uh, this doesn't make sense. And then you're like, oh, the, well, I don't know how to fix it. So <laughs> what do we do? What do we do now? So, I mean, it, um, it kind of um, made some, you know, I guess you kind of dove with some teamwork at that point then. Because obviously they helped you, you know, do your thing. So how obviously yeah. you ended up doing it and it sounded great. So how would you, how did they help you kind of put your pieces together there? Um there, I remember specific instances. I I had a song I really wanted to play and I had a chart for it, but I didn't, I had a chart for the rhythm section. So like drums, keys, um, myself, guitar. Mm. But I did not have the horn parts and I didn't know how to like um, really use notation software so I could like write out the parts for the horns. Oh my God. Um, so I think maybe I just like sat down with somebody and like hacked my way through it. But then I gave it to them and they were like, yeah, this is not too killing. Like, this is trash. Yeah. But they were like, we'll just go and listen to the parts and just like clean it up. And then they brought it to the next rehearsal. Oh, and, and they were like, you were we good. We played it down and they were like, how's that? And I said, thank you so much. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what to do. And luckily, like, they were studying how to do that at that time so it was good for them yeah as well yeah and i think the whole part of that is to not even obviously is your ensemble and your project but they helped everyone in the group you know what i'm saying mm -hmm. trained you for the job field absolutely which is you know came out to what you're doing today which is which is yep. perfect so how were you with criticism from your professors uh probably depends what it's about if it Maybe this is normal and everything. If it was something I thought I was doing well in, and they were like, yeah, you need to go study that some more, that hurts. Because for me, I'm really, really hard about music, like on myself and everybody. So, like, I sit down for hours until I think it sounds good. Mm. And then for somebody to be like, yeah, it's still not it, I'd be like, no, no. You know, upset. But if it was something I was already struggling with, and then they were like, yeah, how about you check out this technique? Like, I really think this will help your hand or something. Um, that that kind of stuff is great because they're giving you tools to build on. Yes, yes. You know, and obviously criticism is there to help you, and it kind of depends on the person you are as far as, far as how, how you take it, you know, because <laughs> they're only really trying to help you out, you know. But I didn't, like I, said, I didn't go to art school or anything, so I can find criticism from friends and some other peers, but I've never gotten it from, like, a person who, like, knows exactly what i guess they're talking about yeah. so i'm sure that you know some people kind of hurts the core <laughs> yeah we have this thing called a combined seminar where all the musicians say the for the semester we're studying like afro-cuban music so mm -hmm. everybody gets the same song and then we go to this class and the teachers just pick a band they just like you on bass you on guitar 
you want drums? All right, go play the song in front of everybody. What? And, and then afterwards, they open it up for critiques, like for your peers, the students, and then the teachers were chiming in too. Oh my God. Bro, that was rough because sometimes the song falls apart, like in front of everybody. <laughs> like you don't even make it through. <laughs> So in these songs that they told you to play, you did you you were you supposed to know how they went? Uh, they gave us probably the sh the sheet music ahead of time. So what you need to do is like go look up some versions of it and hear how it was recorded. Oh my god! And play along with those so that you know Dude. what direction it could go. My anxiety is spiking just <laughs> just hearing you talk about this. I'm just like, yo, I would be terrified. Because obviously, I mean, everyone there's super critical, and obviously, you're gonna get that, you know, honest feedback from people. And if it's trash, you know what's coming. So, <laughs> yeah. And the rough thing is, like, they're putting the bands together. So, there's all different skill levels in that room. So, it's not like you get to play with your friends that you click with. Or right. Whatever. Right. Right. Sometimes you get put up there with somebody you've heard that is not good, and you just gotta, like, try to make it through. He's like, man, don't put me with this guy. And sure enough, he's yep. just like, yeah, you and him. He's like, God. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that's crazy. That's crazy. Okay, so you got through your uh, senior ensembles. And I'm, I'm curious. Maybe this came after. Um, but when did you get into like heavy music? Was that during college or after? Um, senior year. Well, I got into heavy music 2000. You mentioned P.O.D. Sorry, what'd you say? You mentioned POD. So obviously, like back in yeah, yeah. when you were, you know, back before, I guess, college. Mm -hmm. But obviously, but where I grew up did not have a venue for that stuff to come through. So I didn't really know about a lot of bands until I moved to Nashville. Gotcha. And as soon as I could, I went to Rocket Town. The first show I went to was, <clears throat> it was uh, Alice Santa, Broadway, The Bled, Inner Shikari. Oh my God. Um, I think I still got the poster somewhere. <laughs> Dude, but, all those bands. Yeah, that, was, that was the first show. I took a taxi there, which I had never done in my life, and then didn't have any friends, so I walked back. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that's when I got into it and started getting into the scene and like hearing about more shows. Oh, and, wow. Yeah, that's that's when I dove in, was when I moved to Nashville. Damn, so how to these bands that you went to, the, the Bled and all them, did you hear them prior, or did you just kind of see a flyer up or something? I knew about Alice Santa because uh, somebody in high school had North told Carolina, me about yeah. Her. yeah. Wow. Good. I think they're from Wilmington, if I'm not mistaken. They're somewhere. Uh, I actually later in life ended up meeting Shane. I used to play bass from them. Like years later, he was friends with a friend. No I way. walk in and he was there. And I was like, bro, I'm not even going to lie. I used to listen to your band so much. And he just kind of laughed because he wasn't even in the band anymore. Oh my God! He was like, "Yeah, whatever, cool, thank you." Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So that was kind of your first introduction to going to shows and stuff like that. So I guess yeah. and then they kind of like, I guess, did the energy of it kind of spark you? Um, I think yeah, definitely the energy, like videos I had seen of like warp tours, like the people moshing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and, and I think for me, musically speaking, it was something I didn't know how to do. So I just had to take it face value, like raw energy. And that has always been cool for me still to this day, like riffs. 
are so crazy to me and I just take it for what it is. Like, I don't know how to do it and I don't have to. And that's like, honestly, pretty, uh, it's a, it's a relief for me because I don't analyze it. I just listen to it. Right. Right. Which is kind of like, I, I love music that you kind of sh- sit back and turn your brain off and just do that and just listen, mm-hmm. you know, cause I, I bet it's hard as a musician, like a professional musician, like you was kind of just sit back and just kind of let music just go without picking it apart. <laughs> Almost impossible. Yeah. <laughs> That's insane. So, did you find yourself playing those hard, harder bands during the, your senior year of college, or was it after college? Senior year. So, one of my best friends and I, um, Adam Easterling, who actually sings for Orthodox. Yes, still, the guys are great. Um, yeah, they Orthodox got booked for a show, and he had been asking me like if I would play, and I was like, I'll do the practices, um, but I'm in school, so I don't know how much time I have first show happened to get booked on the weekend and so i played it and then as school was finishing um i didn't have so many credit hours so i had more time for that kind of stuff and then yeah it just kept working out eventually they had their first tour and i was done with school so i was like all right cool let's do it no way that's crazy were you super hyped to kind of play your first show with that kind of music um it it felt awkward i think because i was just so used to the educational show or whatever like the calm environment um and i love the music but yeah my first time playing it was like i don't know how to do the jumps right i haven't really practiced my spin moves (laughs) (laughs) and like yeah just getting into a feeling natural on stage in that environment is different than like moshing around with your friends absolutely absolutely and what year was this uh, 2013. This is 2013, so not too, not too, not too long ago. So, yeah. how was it? Like, how was that first tour and and all that? And it's kind of crazy you coming out of this environment of education with school and jumping straight into like a Nashville yeah. hardcore band. <laughs> yeah. So, how was that transition uh, into kind of that? I well, we had been like traveling and going to shows a bit. So, as far as just like hopping in a van and going somewhere, I was I was a little used to that but not used to it being my project. Like I was in the van, we are the show. Mm. Um, and we are the money that gets us to the show. Like yes. That was that was a, a definite hard part, you know, being like one of the openers on the tour, uh, crashing in houses. I mean, it was, it was fun. Like I had a lot of fun doing it, but coming from, yeah, just that education, educational background, like private school, into a van like dirty venues you know crashing in apartments and all that kind of stuff it was just like a a shift um but it was a lot of fun a lot of fun just play shows eat pizza skate do repeat that sounds like a dream i've always wanted to go on like just one tour with some band <laughs> yeah i wish i would have known you back in nashville if i knew you guys were hey dude screw mitch take me <laughs> Shout out to Mitch for listening to this, man. I love you so much. Yeah, Mitch D, what about? Yes, yes. So, and you were in Orthodox for, Orthodox for how many years? Uh, my last show was probably 2015 or 16. I guess about three, two, three years? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So, can was there, I mean, did you have a reason for, I guess leaving the band or anything that was, you know? So, yeah, Orthodox uh, was 
writing a new album. And then I was playing in this other Nashville band called On Point mm -hmm. uh, with some other friends who was also putting out a new album. And then I was just watching how the music was going. Like both bands were getting better and it was getting harder for me to like learn oh, this stuff. Yes. Um, and at the same time, as far as being like a Nashville musician, that career started to like pick up where I needed to be available for like tours or sessions and stuff. So I was just paying attention to the commitment level, like how much am I committing to Orthodox and On Point? And how much is that taking away from like my job, other job opportunities? Yes. And with both bands about to put out records that I, I thought were sick, I was like, I'm not going to be able to tour as much as I think they should. So I was kind of just like weighing that. And then Expire was doing their last tour and both of my bands happened to get booked on that show when it came to Nashville. Oh my God. And I was like, all right, that's it. Like, I get to go out with like one last big show, play with both bands. And yeah, it was a super sick night, but I texted both the groups and was like, hey, uh, this will be probably be my last official show. Uh, I'm really trying to get into this career thing and I kind of want to devote my time to that. Um, if you need me, like hit me. And if I'm free, like I would love to play. But as far as being like the guy, I probably can't commit to doing that anymore. And that was both. And, and these are both hardcore bands? Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh. And both bands pretty much said the same thing. They were like, bro, we were just waiting for you to say that. Like, we've been watching yeah, your career kind of like take off. Because obviously um, outside, of those, outside of those bands, you were kind of, you know, doing your thing too with, you know, I guess producing and getting better and learning different things. I remember seeing you post videos of you just mm -hmm. kind of like playing this different stuff on your Instagram. I was like, man, he's doing so much. Yeah. That and then uh, my job in Nashville is essentially side man is what they call it so like i am a independent contractor like self-employed but groups know that i play bass or word of mouth is kind of like how we get jobs here so somebody's like hey i got a tour this weekend but we don't have a bass player so i'm like oh my man zach plays bass like he would be great and they just give me a call tell me the details and i'm like all right cool and that's kind of how it works so oh wow that's crazy you, you climb the ladder that way just like more experience um networking you know your circle grows yeah yeah yeah. and hopefully because of that like like photography you know people see your pictures they see your work and then more people want to work with you yeah that's exactly how it works exactly yeah. and word of mouth is like your best friend so for sure or your worst enemy you know <laughs> that's very true if you're trash <laughs> yeah yo so um you played the, the your last few shows and mm -hmm. you transitioned out to pursue being a professional musician so is that, does that mean like a session musician or just, you know? Yeah, I guess the two things, the two main focuses are sessions or live. Sessions, just kind of like run in town, you go to a studio and just like knock out an album in a day or an EP in a day, or maybe somebody just has a few songs you need to play on. Essentially just being in town prepared to record fast, you know, cause like time is money. Oh yeah, especially in the studio. Mm -hmm. oh. So like, just having your uh, proficiency of like, I can come in, get a chart, listen to the track once or twice and knock it out in like one or two takes. Wow. That's nuts. Yeah. So how are you, how would, how, how do you practice doing that? Like what's your process with that? Um, Kind of like playing on gigs, 
taking it seriously. Like they'll send you the songs. Sometimes they'll send you a chart for it. Sometimes they don't. So you have to make your own. Yeah, yeah. And then most of the time, you don't want to have charts on the stage. Like you don't want to be staring at the ground, like trying to read something while you're engaging an audience. So you have to memorize those songs and then, you know, play them to the best of your ability on stage. So that kind of trains you like while you're at home practicing um, to go ahead and get get your precision up, get it like as close to the album as possible. And then kind of taking that mindset to the studio. So people are like, I have this song, this genre, and that goes for your musical library. And you're like, okay, I know like kind of what you're going for. And then, mm. yeah, 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 just kind of go that with may- that. I can just imagine you being in a studio. I know, well, imagine me going to the studio, hearing a track, and needing to nail it in two takes. It's like, oh, my God. Yeah, it's so, pretty daunting at first. Luckily, so flashback to college, um, there's a major called AET, which is like audio engineering technologies. Those are essentially like the guys who push the faders, the guys that like mm. actually record the music. Yes. And part of their major is they have to learn how to record, obviously. So they need bands. So what they would do is like book a session, hire a band to record. Um, and that gave us practice for like acting as studio musicians. So I did as many of those as I could in college oh just so gosh. I could get the experience. Because I guess back then you knew that you wanted to pursue something like this anyways. Obviously, you're in music school, so you want to be a professional musician, but you knew in the future that you would want to be doing this job that you're doing right now. Yeah, what I didn't know going into college was how you make money being a bass player. Yeah. But then once I got into college and people started mentioning like touring and sessions and that kind of thing, I was like, oh, so I need to focus on getting better at that. That's dope. So I mm-hmm. guess with you being successful coming out of this, you know, the hardcore thing, did you kind of put your name out there to different studio owners or how did you kind of mold yourself into that market? Um, some of the majors I was, or some of the, sorry, uh, producers and engineers I was working with in college, they were the ones that went to the studio because um, engineers typically like their job is in the studio. And then they hire us to come to the studio. So some of my friends got into those jobs and then they needed bands. Mm. And so that's kind of how I got my foot in the door with that. Um, yeah, they. what they say about Belmont is you pay for the connections more than you do the education. Yes. Because everybody goes out into the field and then we all need each other to make songs, essentially. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when you got into these studios, I mean, do you, can you remember some of your first sessions and kind of tell us how that went? Yeah, I I kind of had a tight circle. We would play a lot of, so I had my senior recital in school, but a lot of vocalists had to have recitals and get bands together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of had like two circles I ran with where we would always get hired together as a package. Yes. So then outside of school, it was kind of the same thing. Like people still were like, these guys sound great together. I want them to play on my album. So I was comfortable playing with those guys, but didn't know some of the engineers and the artists. But whenever they hit record, it's like me and my friends playing music. So that part of it was comfortable. I think, yeah, what I was scared about is, you know, being the guy that messes up on a take or whatever. Like mm-hmm. every- 
everybody else knocks it out and you're like, ooh, uh, verse one, I like played this wrong note. Could we go back and like punch that? And, you know, cause time is money. It's like, you need to kind of get it together and knock it out. So I think that's like the fire that burns is kind of like the part that pushes you. And it's like, I got to knock this out. Like, I can't be that guy. <laughs> cause then you feel like you're letting the whole team down. And then, For like sure. I said, you're wasting yeah, everybody's money. looking at you. They're like, Zach, what are you doing, dude? He's like, man, yeah, shut up. I tried. <laughs> so, all right, like, uh, before we get there, where did you start making um, making beats and producing and all that? Um, I bought Logic, I want to say, in 2015. Mm. And that's when I started putting music into a computer. I I had not done it at all before that point. Wow. And I wasn't even making beats. I was more interested in like jazz and like fusion kind of stuff. So I was using it essentially to make demos of what I would want a live band to play. Gotcha. Kind of um, like scratch tracks in a way, kind of. Yeah, just like here's the parts I'm thinking we should play on real instruments. So everything I was making then was not being made for somebody to sing on or anything like that. It was probably a lot of instrumental music. Oh, dope, dope. So let me just laying out a foundation of what's going on and passing because that's easier than because obviously people kind of spread out their own things so you can kind of get everyone on the same page before you get together. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) I guess. I guess from there, did you kind of go through and like, man, this is kind of fun to just kind of make instrumental stuff too. So maybe I should just, you know, make some beats or how, how'd that come about? Um, I was doing that for a while. And then one of my friends from college that I've been playing in sessions with got really good at it really fast. And so I was kind of watching him and his stuff started sounding better and better. And I was like, yo, my music does not sound like this at all. <laughs> my stuff is kind of trash. <laughs> And so he started giving me tips along the way um, to get better at production. And then production is like this dark hole where you start buying all these instruments and plugins and then they put out the new version and then you got to buy that. So I got sucked into that thing. I think the beat making thing honestly came. Whole truth is it started last year. Um, really? There's a producer in town, student Gates. Um there was, there's a venue or a bar here that on Sunday nights was like super chill. He would just play beats and people would just sit there and hang out. Um, and it was very low key, but I was just listening. To, it was all his original stuff and I was loving it. Yo, that's... Um, so him and I eventually became friends and I was just talking to him, asking him about like beat making and like sampling and all that kind of stuff. And I had the hardware at home to do it, but not really the drive until I started listening to him. And then I was like, I want to do this too. And that's, that's what threw me into it really. Wow. And then do you kind of dive into different sounds and different bands? Well, I guess different musicians and producers and all that from that point. Producers and like, yeah, if I heard a song on the radio um, that I liked, a lot just trying to go home and recreate that sound like i like how that made me feel let me go home and try to like do the same thing but like tweak it to make it sound like my own or something like that yeah yeah 
it's crazy because to me beat making looks insanely difficult and everyone keeps saying that it's not so i mean i guess it just depends on the person but i mean you still have to find your like i guess your own sound and obviously you're diving into so many different genres of music to get samples yeah. and all that so how's your process with creating i guess the tapes you've done um the first one i did was oh uh, so shout out to jay dilla one of the best oh my producers God. ever um yes he kind of crafted like his own style his own sound his own feel um and the way he did it was he had a sampler but he would play everything like with his fingers instead of just like dragging it and placing it he would play it so it felt exactly how he played it so i told myself that's how i was going to make the tape like i wasn't going to quantize my parts if i play it good i play it good if i don't i got to do it again mm -hmm. and that was my whole idea with it was like try to get it to feel how i want it to feel and so i did that um i was diving into sampling at that time too so i grabbed a, a few songs i really like and like chopped those up and tried to make yeah beats out of that and yeah that that was the goal for the first one was like make it feel how i want to and learn how to sample right were you pretty satisfied with the first one i think so i i go back and listen to it sometimes i was listening to one of them there's one track on the first one called key and i still think that one slaps the rest of them the rest of them I'm glad I did. Like they got cool elements, but I've just gotten better at this point. So there's like some decisions I wouldn't make anymore, some sounds I wouldn't choose, but right. I think it's it's still a cool tape. I mean everything's a learning experience. So I mean I'm sure overall you're like you know, I did it, I'm happy, you know, and I'll I'll learn from it, you know? Mm -hmm. That's that's the biggest thing. So all right, back to um playing bass because i want to i want to jump back and forth here but because i've you've played with some yeah. incredible musicians so i want to hear about some of your favorite experiences um that you've had because i know you've uh, the recent one was what yola yola was the yeah. last yeah that's a video i saw yeah. recently which sounded phenomenal so Thanks. yeah so what's your coming your i guess some of the your favorite sessions so far uh there's a girl named jesse wilson here mm-hmm um, her and I were like pretty good friends before we started playing together. Um, the last tour we did was opening for the Black Keys. That's nuts. Um, that was all arena shows, which was crazy. Um, but one of the shows we had a one-off opening for Al Green in LA. What? Yeah. So I, <laughs> I actually have a video. I hope it's still on my phone, but, um, Al Green wasn't on the stage yet. I was recording the band for the intro, and then you see the phone shake, and then Al Green walks by me. I was in his way, so he kind of like bumped me on his way to the stage, and then turned around and was like, excuse me, brother, and then like went on about his business. And so I always tell people like, you see that shake? That was Al Green. He hit me. Dude, I need to go watch that video. Dude, that's crazy. Al Green, like... Yeah. Talking about a supreme musician. I mean, like your mama listen to Al Green. <laughs> big old humongous facts, bro. Like, I think if I saw someone, and everyone in every industry has their like wow moments of meeting certain people, but I'm sure for you, that was just like almost mind blowing. And you said it was a mind, it was a one off. So how'd that work? 
Um, I, I honestly don't know. Jesse, I guess uh, her agency somehow was tied up with either the venue or whoever was booking James Brown at the time, and they thought it would be a good fit. So, uh, yeah, they just booked her as an opener for the show. We we actually we played her release show of her album here on maybe like a Thursday or something. And then that Saturday we were in LA. So we like flew out, played the show, um, came right back. Wow. So you literally flew back from there and that was it. That's wild. This is me. I didn't prepare prepare for this question, but I'm just generally curious. So are you like working with a lot of labels? Do you like kind of throw your name out there to different, these different musicians that are on their, on their, on their labels? Um, not really. More so how I get hooked up is still word of mouth, mouth. Okay. or at this point, like, you know, the Yola thing was on TV. Like people saw me play. That, that production looked that insane. Level. Yeah. So that helps a lot too. playing with well-known artists. Um, people are like, that band sounds great. That bass player sounds great. I want him on my gig. And so Nashville is like kind of like a small once you get to a certain level, like things start getting smaller. Like you're probably one person away from everybody. So mm-hmm. they just reach out and they're like, Hey, do you know that guy, Zach? Uh, can you give me his number? Or, you know, Instagram is kind of like everybody's business card these days. So sometimes people will just like DM me and be like, Hey, can you send me your email or whatever? Like, we would love to get you information about the gig. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very, personal usually sometimes management will reach out uh like the artist management will reach out and be like hey we have a tour these dates are you free um wow. yeah, you kind of have personal. your rate. i don't really deal with labels too much gotcha gotcha and you like have your rates and everything and you kind of do a contract and yeah. is that how it works wow. yeah uh sometimes it's just a lot of the work here is work for hire, which means you, you just get paid what it is and then there's no real contract. Um, with every job, you know, when you break a certain threshold, you have to do the W-9s or you're like, what is the other thing, 10, 10 somethings? Um, I don't know, you gotta fill out tax forms. Oh yeah, it's things, like, but, I, know, I know what you're talking about, but I forgot what it's called. It's all that tax stuff. 1080. I don't know. I do my taxes. I yeah. just don't know what it's called. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So, do, are you? So, you're pretty much our entity. You're you're a business. Self-employed is me. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's something that like, oh no, I guess a lot of musicians I know are like that. You know, obviously you need to to be, I guess, in the eyes of the government, as seen as a professional. Um, gosh, that's kind of crazy. Manager yourself as a as a business entity. <laughs> do you, do you enjoy that, or is it kind of kind of annoying? Uh, enjoy it because I get to make my own hours. I get to decide my rates, you know, Yeah. most of the time. Um, annoying, those are positive things. It's annoying because uh, there's nobody looking for work for me, really. Like, I have to get the jobs somehow. Yes, yes. So, whereas if an, an artist has a manager it's or a label or a development team it's kind of their job to get the artists to a place where they can be seen for like bigger options or, or bigger gigs or whatever for me 
it's my job to hustle so that people see me and what I do so that I can get more calls. Gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. That's insane. Do you being in a, I guess a, an ocean of musicians out in Nashville, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Me as a photographer, I don't care if there's a lot of photographers in my community. I think it's a good thing. But for you, do you see that as, is that discouraging at all? Or does everyone kind of get along or how's the community out there? Uh, the community is really cool. Nashville's a very, um, like you can get a gig just because you're a cool person. Like mm. it's very, uh, like community based. Like if you get in a gig and everybody clicks, they'll keep you around, which is, uh, good news. It's annoying sometimes because, uh, you, you can get a gig by like playing the, the role. Like you look a certain way you have certain gear yeah or whatever like they'll hire you on because of that and my personal preference like sometimes those dudes don't really sound that great mm. they just can play the, the role really well like that that part of the music business i don't love so much like people hear with their eyes kind of thing like if the show looks good people look good and then it sounds good uh, i'm not really worried about that too much but um that part of it is discouraging and annoying for me but the good part is essentially if you're a good person a good player and you're about your work like you can do pretty decent here right right that's amazing and is, is there any sense of i guess people seeing it as a competition to i guess work against you or any kind of negative you know and any negative atmosphere out there I'm sure in some circles, but honestly, in mine, like everybody's hanging. We go to the same show. Yeah. Yeah. Hang. We're like posting about each other's gigs. We're putting each other on our gigs. It's the 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 circle I run with. I love them. Like it's great. That's dope. That's dope. So back to you being a. Because I have a question about um how touring is being with, as a session drummer. I guess to to some bigger musicians. Is it a lot different than touring with hardcore bands? Are you like in hotels and stuff? How's that? How's that life? Um, a lot cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, because all I have to do is show up. Like they tell me where to be, when to be there. They've got the van, they've got the hotels booked, or sometimes they'll do like an Airbnb, Airbnb situation. But everything is taken care of. All I got to do is show up and play the music and get paid that sounds that sounds like that sounds amazing <laughs> yeah it's it's great the the only downsides are i mean this is with all touring it's just like long van rides sometimes if you're not flying oh yeah and then the best the best tour i did was like i've done two two or three tours where we were on a bus where they had the bunks um, only thing with that is you drive through the night. So then you're at the venue when you wake up, which means you have a lot of time to kill before the show is started. And I was not prepared for that. Oh my God. That sounds, I mean, this is kind of a good thing. Maybe if depending on where you are, depending on where you are. And at this point I'd be prepared. Like I have a little mobile rig where i can still go out and like make beats or like record if i need to 
but I was not thinking about that at all at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was just on the bus, just like just chilling, looking at fairgrounds. We were playing like there was a city probably thirty minutes away. So it's like, do I really want to lift and walk around forever? Or do I just kind of want to figure out things here? And sometimes when I'm in that headspace, I just get stuck thinking back and forth. And the next thing I know, three hours have passed and I haven't. <laughs> you haven't done anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. But overall, you're still, I guess, you're still enjoying it and something you still want to do, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whenever it opens back up, I definitely will do some more touring. I think end goal a lot of musicians angle is kind of to do the session thing just mm. you know if you're trying to have a family and all that kind of stuff you don't want to be away for months always yes so if you can make touring money at home you know it's kind of preferable absolutely it makes sense to like musicians like i don't know your jay-z's your kendrick's your <clears throat> whoever who's like who have families <clears throat> excuse me um people are so mad they don't go on tour and all that often it was like yeah dude because they don't want to <laughs> why would they yeah. they have wives and families and you know that it's like why why not stay home and do something else and not be on the road away from them so that actually makes sense yeah that's where the production stuff comes in that's why i've been pushing that so hard yeah, yeah. to kind of get that ball rolling so then whenever family stuff does come up down the road it's it's not like I had to start a new project, like a brand new. Yeah, absolutely. So with you, if it wasn't for COVID right now, do you think you'd be pretty much playing shows pretty much four or five days a week? Um, yeah, I'd probably have some tours. The, the day things started shutting down, I was supposed to fly to Australia for a week. Um, I was supposed to be out there with a girl named Cassie Ashton. We were doing like two country festivals, I believe, over there. Oh my god! Um, but yeah, I, I texted the band leader. Was like, "Hey, should I pack my bags or what's going on?" And I woke up and he was like, "Yeah, that's not happening." Oh no! Yeah, so that got shut down. I think I had another tour with Jesse that was booked. It would have been a, a West Coast thing for like a week, a week and a half, and then um, there were some like weekly things in town I was doing. So, yeah, I, I kind of had a normal schedule and then, yeah, you know, everything shut down. Oh, my gosh. Did that kind of like, obviously, for all the musicians there, that probably just destroyed a lot of people. But, I mean, obviously, it seems like you're doing pretty well for yourself, you know, regardless. So, it, yeah, I think it, it was all about perspective and like where you were before things shut down. Like some dudes were touring months at a time. So they had they had money and for things to shut down was probably you know a, a little bit of relief like i get some time off yes i think it starts getting scary because you know you don't know how much time off yeah i don't think anyone thought we would be what is this nine months in right now <laughs> yeah yeah and the cases are still rising and everything and this is this is just a crazy time but yeah so before we get out of here i want to talk about um another beat tape because that's the newest thing yes. out and um, yeah, tell us the process with that and how maybe it's different from the other tapes that you've done. Um, that one, at that point, I had learned how to like clean my sound up. I learned some some mixing tips, gotten some better samples. 
Um, with the first tape I put out, I sampled some bands that exist and didn't get the music cleared, so I can't make any money off of it. Like, I couldn't put it on Spotify. Oh, damn. Because they might, you know, come after me or something. They definitely so would. I just put that one on Bandcamp for free. So this one, I wanted to stay away from that kind of sampling. That way I can put it on the streaming platforms. And if money was going to come in, like, it could be my money. Yes. So I kind of pushed myself to, like, all right, what is my sound? What am I going for? Um, and, oh, I... I sang on a few tracks. There were like a few producers that I was listening to that kind of had, like the, the track was just a hook. It was a hook that repeated over and over, but it felt good the whole time. So a few tracks, I kind of wanted to do that kind of thing where I just wrote a chorus, sing the same thing over and over, but somehow still keep it interesting. Mm-hmm. Did you, um, but uh, I was just gonna say, I, I think those were, kind of the go- the goals for the tape make a cleaner sound um keep it interesting um be a nerd in some spots like with my core choice and all that kind of stuff and kind of just yeah push myself so. absolutely do you think you have any ambitions of like selling beats to you know rappers or selling beats to just anyone in general is that what you want to do 100 percent. yeah i'm i'm trying to figure out how to better do that now and how to uh, protect myself in doing it. Like, I don't want to sell it for $50 and then the song blow up and all I get is $50 on it. You know what I'm saying? I was so wondering how that... About the music. I was wondering uh, how that... Say that again? Yeah, I was wondering how that works with beat makers who... Obviously, there's a deal that happens between the, the rapper and the, and, the, and the producer. But I'm sure there's so many tracks. Like, I heard, if I'm not mistaken, Jay-Z's... Um, how oh, was that one with um something crown? Something uh, crown. Where Man, no, Magna Carta. Magna Carta. Yeah, Matt the Magna Carta. The album that apparently some of those out those tracks there, like he got from some. I know one was some girl from some different country for like no money at all, and of course that album went crazy. So I wonder mm-hmm. how that works as far as like I guess it's all contracts. It is or licensing or and something like that. That's- that situation is like low key on that girl because as a producer you got to know how to protect yourself in that situation um so you know i i don't know exactly what happened with jay-z could have been like yo i'll buy a track off you for five thousand dollars and off top that sounds good because you sold one beat for five thousand dollars and then it gets placed on a record and then it gets put in commercials, and yeah. all you get to make is five thousand. Well, the album makes millions of dollars. <laughs> That's mm-hmm. nuts. So I guess you kind of, in a way of kind of figuring that out, and you know, make sure you you get your bread too, but also you know, make it fair for them. So. That's yeah, wild. yeah, definitely. Just I'm trying to learn how to cover my bases right now while still making a good product. Like trying to get better in music. Uh, keep stuff interesting somewhat current you know um but if if this turned into a job you know i'm trying to make money so yeah absolutely i mean someone also filed grand for a tape for a beat he's like man hell yeah <laughs> you know depending Let's on do it. let me get this paperwork together yeah absolutely we're gonna sign some documents before we do it but absolutely absolutely yes. That's yes, dope. sir. That's dope, man. So, what what should we listen to on the way out of here? What song of uh, another beat tape? What's your favorite? Uh, probably 
probably how what's it called how are you doing how are you doing yeah 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 how are you doing yes yeah, let's crank that we're gonna crank that to end it out but nah man this is amazing so obviously you're for hire making beats right Yes. If someone needs something for a podcast or anything like that, like you can hit Zach up. And are you doing lessons or anything with the bass? Aren't you? Lessons, yeah. Uh, in person, if you're in Nashville and online, um, produced by BlackNick.com. So P R O D B Y B L A C K X N E C K. Um, I have a lessons tab there. I'm teaching bass lessons music theory lessons or like how to understand chords or like what key you're in uh rhythms all that kind of stuff like how to make music and then teaching production lessons as well so as far as learning how to sample learning how to make beats um i work in logic pro so i'm that's where i'm well versed so like if you want to learn logic just like how to make a song how to make a good demo um all that yeah teaching lessons yes yeah. yo please hit zach up mega good dude so much experience such a journey um like i tell everyone we've hit surface level here i'm sure if you have any more deep and more detailed questions shoot him a message if you want some lessons or music theory or anything like that please hit him up he's the best person alive in the world um that's it brother we're gonna play um um that track is it how are you what you say how are you doing? How you doing? Yeah, we're going to play How You're Doing on the way out. And, of course, buy it. It's on Bandcamp. We're going to link you to all that as well. But, dude, thank everyone for listening. Zach, I appreciate you, bro. Yeah, man, this is cool. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Stay safe, please. I want to get to Nashville soon and see you. Yo, let me know. We have a spare room. Yo, oh, absolutely, then. That's lit. Word. Word up, bro. All right, yeah. stay safe. Dude, we'll talk just soon. Like Yes, I'm gonna go out. I'm gonna eat some chicken wings. I want natural Damn. chicken. The hot chicken. <laughs> yeah, let's go. All right, bro. Good night. Have a good one, bro. I love you. You too, bro. Later.